I miss precedented times. Morning Foothill, welcome to day 555 of Shelter in Place. Remember how all of this started when we started to hear about coronavirus or COVID-19 as we now talk about it, uh, or SARS-CoV-2. And when we were talking about this, we were talking about how we're entering unprecedented times. And certainly it has proven to be that. Don't you just miss precedented times? Times when life would be possible for me to show up in your church, you'd be sitting in the congregation, we'd be worshiping together, and we would be enjoying that sweet fellowship that we call church. Happy Sunday, everybody. I'm Roy Tinklenberg. I'm the pastor of Compass Christian Church in Mountain View. We started Compass in 2014, and as we planted Compass, we had seven people in our core team, plus my family of five, so that gave us 12. We were questioning what can we do with 12 people? How can we impact a city as important as Mountain View? How can we um, make a difference as church planters in a city that already has churches? And so as we were doing our demographic study and as we were thinking about what God was calling us to do, we landed on two things. The first thing was to go to a part of Mountain View that didn't have a church. Why go to the part of Mountain View that was already churched? Go to the place that didn't have a church. And we found that place in an area called the Mountain View Triangle. If you know the freeways around us, um, if you go down 85 to 101, and 101 to 237, and then 237 cuts across from Milpitas all the way to 99 Ranch Market. And that triangle is called the Mountain View Triangle. In fact, in the middle of the triangle at the Wisman and Middlefield Junction, there's a little um, curb-like curb kind of thing that you can sit on and it says Mountain View Triangle. So that area of Mountain View is an area with about 5,000 dwelling units, uh, apartments, condominiums, a few single-family homes. And there is one church, a Korean Seventh-day Adventist church, at the very edge of the triangle, there's Mountain View Chinese Christian Church. There was no other church that was really reaching out to the community, and so we planted Compass with that goal in mind. Another thing unique about the triangle is that only half of it is neighborhood, and the other half of it is business. And so we said, if we're going to reach the triangle, we're going to try to reach out to the bedroom community, the people that live here. We're also going to try to reach out to the business community, the people that work here. And in the city of Mountain View, we have approximately about 75,000 um, inhabitants or in our kind of um, population. And we will more than double that pre-COVID with the workforce that comes in to work in companies like Google, LinkedIn, Intuit, and several of the big marquee Silicon Valley companies that are here in Mountain View and in the Silicon Valley. So before we started having worship in the school that we use, um, the Old Wisman School, which is leased by the German International Community to become the German International School, and we lease their hall. Hans Erich has been there and has been a guest speaker for us before and has worshiped with us on sabbatical before, so um, he's familiar with what I'm talking about. Uh, but for the rest of you, um, 
it's just an NPR like any other uh, multi-purpose room. It's the cafeteria tables fold down. There's a bit of a stage. We set up chairs and that's where we would do worship before we were forced to go online like every other church. And before we had a worship service there, we started, I started a Bible study or a prayer group with a group of Googlers. And I discovered these Googlers by um, just asking around, who do you know that works at Google? Because we figured that if we were going to reach this city, the bedroom community and the business community, we should reach the campus that was right in our backyard. And if I were planting a church in a university town, had I been planting in Berkeley, in fact, the seven people that planted with me all came from Berkeley. They all attended Cal and got jobs in Silicon Valley. And they were all part of a campus ministry that was part of their church called Harvest. And so Harvest, this small Taiwanese church in Berkeley, had a campus ministry to the University of California. And so we were thinking along those same lines that as we planted Compass, we would also have a campus ministry. But instead of going to Stanford, that may be the, one of the closest campuses, or to Santa Clara University, we would go to an even closer campus, and that campus would be Google. And we would start to reach out to the Googlers. We would start to talk to them and ask them how we could help them, how we could encourage them, how we could equip them for the ministry that God had given them to do. And that's what I want to talk to you about today, a ministry that God has given each and every one of his children, each and every one of us who are followers or disciples of Jesus Christ. And so to do that, I want to look at what is known as the Great Commission. And the scripture is here. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So I want to stop there. There's, there's more in the latter part of this commission, but I want to stop there for right now because this is probably a passage that's very familiar to all of us, and it's known as the Great Commission. This comes to the disciples as Jesus is about to ascend into heaven. So this is one of the final messages that Jesus is going to give to his disciples and when you get the opportunity to, to hear that final word from somebody, you usually want to lean in. You usually want to, to hear what they have to say and to, to really focus it on what it is that they are trying to communicate. And so let's do that today, and, and let's try to lean in. Um, and before we do much more than that, I want to do a little bit of a word study. So when we look at this passage, we start with the word go. And in our English translations, this is the ESV version, it looks like go is an imperative word and that this is the main command. And for many of us, when we think about the Great Commission, that's exactly what we think about. We think about go, and then we think about where are we supposed to go, and we see that we're supposed to go to the nations. Um, and so we look at this passage as a passage that compels us to global missions that compels us to go to places like Taiwan or places like the 1040 window. And certainly it does. But 
it speaks to us beyond the classic understanding of missions, the things that you might hear if you've ever been to Urbana or if you um, have been to any other kinds of missionary conferences or read missionary biographies, all of which have been very foundational in my own spiritual development. But I want to correct something um, about our understanding of this verse. And the, the thing that I need to correct is that this is the main verb, make disciples. Okay, so the main verb is make disciples. And then there are three participles that are supporting this main verb. And you're going to find them here, where it says baptizing. So make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, and here's the other one, teaching. Now, I said there were three. So where's the third one? Well, it's right here. It's go, which could be said going. The main, the main verb is make disciples, and it's supported by three participles. The way that we make disciples is by baptizing people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, by teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and by going to do this. So, some people would retranslate this passage to say, as you go. As you go, make disciples. The reason I think this is really important for us is because then it makes the Great Commission something that is not just for missionaries who decide to go to Africa, but it's a Great Commission that's for all of us. And of course we understood the, the Great Commission was for all of us in, in many different ways, but one of the ways that we've understood it is that there will be a few who go, there will be others who support and send and pray. And that's the classic understanding of missions. But what I want to do is I want to take this fuller understanding of the Great Commission and see that the main verb is make disciples. And this applies to all of us. It applies to all of us wherever we go, as we go. As we're going about life, we are called to make disciples. Not just when we get on an airplane and land on another continent or cross a border into another country are we on mission. But we are called to be on mission 24-7, 365 days of the year. And so what does that look like? Well, I think it could look like this. And, and you say, well, what is this? Um, we'll get there. This is your life. This is your life. And um, every morning, and we get up, and we make breakfast, and we have some coffee, and kind of get, get ourselves ready for, for work. And so we do the same thing on Tuesday morning, and then on Wednesday morning, and then on Thursday morning, and then on Friday morning, and then we finally get a weekend, okay? And then the evenings, we come home from work, and we, and I say that um, based on precedented times, because I know that going to work 
and coming home from work, it doesn't really require any going. In fact, today you're in my bedroom. And um, this, is, this is where I work. This is where I live. That's where I sleep. And so going in this sense of the word is more figurative than actual. Uh, but you're going to come home from work, you're going to have dinner, you're going to relax with the family, you might watch some Netflix Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then you get this great weekend. But what's this huge block in your life? Well, this huge block in your life is work. And so I want to think about this. Where is Jesus sending you day after day, week after week, as his disciple? Where is he sending you? Well, after you roll out of bed and you brush your teeth and you put a shirt on over your sweats or whatever it is that you're doing these days, and you roll up to the kitchen table or to the desk or to the study and you just go to another part of the room or another part of the house and you go to work. And, but day after day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Jesus is sending you to work. And yes, I miss precedented times. I miss it where, I'm not all of it. I mean, it's nice not to have a commute. It's nice not to have to ride Caltrain. Um, we hope it doesn't go away. But um, it's really nice also to, for me to, to go to Google and have my Monday morning prayer meeting in the campus at Moffett Park and to, to meet with Googlers at 8 a.m. and start their week um, in prayer and to strategize in prayer over how God is calling us and what God wants us to do and to ask for blessings on our work and to ask for blessings on our coworkers, to ask for blessings over the company, to ask for blessings over the country, to pray and for, for one another, to support one another, and, and to do that from my bedroom over Google Meet, it's good, but it's far better for me when I get to actually engage in person um, and, and sit down with the workers in their workplace and, and enjoy some fellowship and, and pray together. Um, and for, for you, maybe you miss that interaction with your coworkers as well. Um, maybe, maybe you're um, tired and zoomed out. And, you know, we talk a lot about Zoom fatigue. We talk a lot about how we're so zoomed out, we're becoming Zoombies. Um, and so work has a whole new reality in this season of uh, being sheltered in place while we try to flatten the curve, which is all good and responsible action, and um, I wouldn't have us do otherwise. But I want you just to get the picture of the way that there's a big block of our life that is part of the life that God gave you, 
part of the life that God created for you, part of the life that God has designed for you, destined for you, chosen for you, and that's work. And a lot of us, when we think about our discipleship, we don't think of our discipleship happening in this box. Rather, we might think of our discipleship happening up here, like we'll have 15 minutes of quiet time every morning and have a little bit of prayer um, along with our coffee and our toast or our yogurt or whatever it is that we're having for breakfast. And, and that's a sweet time that we box out of our schedule and that we consider our discipleship. And maybe we have a small group and so maybe that's a Wednesday night small group and we'll gather with our Wednesday night small group and that's our discipleship. Maybe we serve. Maybe we, we serve in um, youth ministries. And you, maybe that's on Friday night. I don't remember which night it is over at your church. But um, we consider that part of our discipleship. And of course, this time that we're in right now, Sunday morning. Yeah, we consider Sunday morning our discipleship too because that's our church time. And we look at our discipleship as being these smaller components of our life versus our whole life. And what I'd like for us to think about today is how this is meant to be an integral part of our discipleship and an essential part of our mission. Because as we saw in the scripture, as we go, we are called to make disciples. So how do we do that? Well, I'm going to give you a really simple three-point strategy. I'm going to share four more points about what we did when we started with that first group at Google. Uh, but the three-point strategy is to, first of all, center yourself. And this is something that you can do in those morning devotion times. So as you gather with God in the morning, and as you have this time, whether it's alone or with your spouse or with your family as you have this time where you're connecting to God this would be the place where you center you center on the gospel you center on the truths of the gospel you center on all that God has for you and has done for you and his love for you you cast your worries on him you lay aside your burdens you let go of your grudges and and you center. And we need to do this because as Jesus said, that when we abide in him, we can bear much fruit. And so we wanna center, we wanna abide, we wanna dwell in Jesus with the goal of being able to make disciples, of being able to bear fruit. And, and I'm not just talking about the fruit of making disciples like new converts, but also the fruit of being a person that brings the presence and the shalom of Jesus into the places that we go. Being a person of peace, being an, a non-anxious presence in the midst of a very anxious world. We can only do this when we first get grounded in God, when we first get centered. And so that's the first strategy is abide, center get grounded. Then the second strategy is 
awareness. And that is simply being aware of the people around you and aware of their needs. And one of the ways that you're, you become aware of their needs is simply to ask, how are you doing? How is this pandemic affecting you? Do you know anybody, are any of your loved ones impacted by this? Just simply ask. Now, most, most of the time when we ask somebody, how are you doing? Their responses are trite. They're gonna be busy. Um, or, okay, or fine. Or they'll kind of just, you know, blow it off. Because we're taught to be like ducks on a pond where the water just rolls right off of us while underneath, underneath the surface, our feet might be frantically paddling. Um, but we're going to look like everything's cool, everything's smooth, all is good. And occasionally, however, you start to build trust. You start to develop enough competence in relationship, enough capital, relational capital with somebody that they will answer your how are you doing question and they'll share how they're doing now if you were my friend and you came up to me and you asked me how are you doing and Hans Eric knows this because he is my friend and he did ask me um, I would tell you this was a crazy week okay so on Friday my oldest daughter Bethany had wisdom teeth extracted and Normally, that's not something that I would be anxious about. Um, in fact, we kind of delayed this um, because we thought it's fine, it's just wisdom teeth. But what we didn't see in the x-rays at her dentist's office, the oral surgeon saw, was that one of her wisdom teeth was impacted and it was growing backwards so that the root was growing towards a facial nerve that drops down. And he told us that there was a 5% chance that she could have paralysis in her face as a result of this surgery as they went in to extract this tooth. In fact, when they did take the tooth, they broke the tooth and they decided to leave the root tip in and take everything else out because they, just as a precautionary measure, they did not want to risk this um, impacting her her smile, her ability to speak, her appearance, um, if they would have damaged that nerve. So I was anxious. I was anxious as a dad on Friday. I was anxious as she started to recover. I was anxious as her recovery took longer than um, our other daughter who had also had her wisdom teeth removed. And, and so there was this anxiety that I had. And then on Sunday night, um, my son was saying, you know, I feel kind of chills, like maybe I'm getting a fever. And, you know, normally, not a big deal, right? People get fevers, come and go, whatever caused it. Um, they're not minor, but they're not major. But in the season that we're in with coronavirus, a fever is like cause for sounding the alarms, right? And so on Monday morning, he woke up, we took his temperature, and yes, he was feverish, um, around 100. And by Monday afternoon, he had spiked to 102. So we 
um, had him go get tested for coronavirus. And um, he has been subsequently um, quarantined in a bedroom here in our apartments, just behind this wall right here. Um, so it's his sister's bedroom. He had just moved home from college. And um, so we moved my youngest into the living room where she's now um, living in the living room. And our, our middle child, my son, um, Ben, is quarantined in this bedroom while we wait to find out whether or not he has coronavirus. And, and we've been waiting. We've been waiting since Monday afternoon and we still have no news, no results. And my understanding is that the um, testing centers are backlogged and the responses are slow. Um, they were estimating it would be three or four days and it's been beyond that. And now we're hearing a week to two weeks. And so, um, yeah, it's been a crazy, crazy week. Now, I share all of that way more than I would maybe in a workplace water cooler conversation or over a Zoom call where somebody says, how are you doing? But with my closest friends, or not even all of my closest friends, I just shared it with a bunch of you who are strangers, I, I'm, I'm willing to, to share that. Maybe I overshare, um, but I'm willing to share that. And if you had a friend that were um, vulnerable and open and um, sharing what's going on in their life with you, how are you going to respond? And my encouragement to you is you respond from that center place. And you, you listen to them. You listen to any prompting that the scriptures that you've learned um, Maybe some, some of these scriptures will come to mind and, and God will use those scriptures to prompt you. Maybe um, the way that you've been raised, the way that others have modeled discipleship for you, maybe that example will prompt you. Maybe it'll be a, a little whisper from the Holy Spirit, like Philip got in Acts chapter 8, where he, the Spirit says, go up to that chariot. And he goes up to the chariot and an Ethiopian eunuch is reading the scriptures. And he gets to witness to him and he gets to baptize him right there. Um, but in that moment, what I would encourage you to do is when they say, oh man, I'm so stressed. And I have a number of friends that are stressed for a number of different reasons, financial reasons, work. Um, we're all enduring unprecedented, stressful times, really hard times. And so how are we how are we to respond to them? And the thing that I want to encourage you to do is just listen first to them, listen to the Holy Spirit, and then look for that opportunity. And I would encourage you, if possible, to say, can I pray for you? And this is something that we have been training people to do in Google and in Facebook and in the workplace fellowships that um, we come alongside of and support. And there are people in these companies that have had hundreds of conversations like this where they'll say, how are you? And somebody will say something and they'll express their need and, 
and then they'll say, could I pray for you? And right there, they will just take 10 seconds and they will pray for them. And they'll say it like this, like, you don't, you don't need to close your eyes or anything. In fact, you can just like look over my shoulder and, and I'll look down here at the table and this could happen in the cafeteria, this could happen by somebody's desk, this could happen in the water cooler. Um, elevator's not a very good place for that. But you know, it can happen pretty much anywhere on the work campus. And you make it look as if it's a normal conversation that's happening. And as you kind of look over their shoulder, look down and they look over your shoulder and, and you just say, God, I just pray that you would be with, and if somebody were praying for me, they'd be saying, I just pray that you'd be with Roy and with his son, Ben, and that his son, Ben, will get a negative test result on his COVID test and that whatever it is that's caused him to have this fever, that you would bring healing to him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And just that simple. And then your friend, especially if your friend is not a believer, is going to look up from that like, nobody's ever done this with me in this environment. And I don't know how I should feel about it. So you need to break the ice. and You need to just say, thank you for letting me pray for you. And they'll probably respond by saying, oh, no, thank you. Thank you for praying. And sometimes you'll, you'll have people, when you, you know, actually look again at one another as, as you lift your head up, as they lower their head down, and you actually make eye contact, you might see tears in their eyes. You might see that they feel like they are being cared for and they are being loved. And that's exactly what we want them to feel. Because in order to make disciples, we need to love people. In order to fulfill the Great Commission, we need to fulfill the Great Commandment. And that is to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And so my encouragement to you today is to take this simple technique of centering yourself, being aware, and asking, and praying. And the way that you can remember it is... The word cap, C, center, A, aware, or ask, and P, pray. And I know it's harder because it's harder to have these kinds of conversations on Google Meet and Zoom or WebEx or Microsoft Teams or whatever it is that your company uses, BlueJeans and I've been on every one of those formats in the last 555 days since we've started this um, COVID shelter in place. Um, but it's still possible. It's still possible to be caring and to show that you are loving to your coworkers in a time like this. And not only is it possible, it's necessary. It is absolutely necessary because there are so many people that are looking for encouragement.